Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Gear Priority Podcast. My name is Justin, and I am your host. Today, we are diving deep into a tent fabric technology from the outdoor brand Nemo. You may recognize Nemo as the company behind products like the Tensor Sleeping Pad and Hornet series of tents. Recently, Nemo has revamped their backpacking tent lineup with a fabric called Osmo. Osmo is a nylon polyester blend with some pretty some pretty crazy stats. And I'm joined by Gabby Rosenbrine, who is the product development director at Nemo. I'm excited to pick Gabby's brain about the use of Osmo and Nemo tents and what sets Osmo tents apart from tents made exclusively with nylon and polyester. Welcome, Gabby. Where, where are you calling in from? Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. Happy to be here. Um, I'm calling in from the office today, which for us is in the seacoast region of New Hampshire in a little city called Dover. Awesome. Is, is that where Nemo originated? Is that the same kind of main office that's been since since the start, or is it moved around a bit? No, but no, but close by. Uh, the, the company was founded in a textile mill in Nashua, New Hampshire, which is an hour or so away. Since then, it's moved to Dover to a different textile mill building. And as we've kind of grown, uh, our space has changed, so we've swapped floors a little bit. But um, it's a pretty cool building. High high ceilings, big windows, a lot of natural light. And, of course, the the uh, tie back to textiles was a pretty neat through line. Yeah, that, that is. And if you're, if you're not going to be working from home, it's nice to nice have a nice office. That's That's for sure. <laughs> And and you've been with Nemo for almost seven years, I think, based on my my internet internet creeping. And what just curious, what roles have you been with um, been at with Nemo over the course of, of that time? Yeah, yeah, good good research. Um, so I, I've been on the product team with Nemo uh, for about seven years. I, I actually uh, flagged Nemo as a, a brand of interest back when I was in college and managed to intern with Nemo for, for a summer. And at the time they were shifting office spaces, planning to go up two floors or down two floors, I think. Um, but because the contract was delayed as is often the case with moves, um, I got a chance to actually work on some product and some prototyping instead of just helping with the move, which was really exciting for me. Um, I came back here after college uh, as a, a product developer, uh, before we had a, a robust quality and testing team. So I did a little bit of product design, a little bit of prototyping, a little bit of testing for all the categories. And, and as we've grown and become more sophisticated, um, I've, I've gotten to, to focus heavily on, on 10 and, and now I'm managing all sleep categories. So sleeping pads, sleeping bags, and tents as well. Oh, cool. So, so you're, you're kind of all, all over the place. Are you, I, I've seen some videos of, of Nemo's testing where you guys are like dropping weights on chairs repeatedly. And I think, I think you have a rain room for the tent testing as well. Is that in the building that, that you're in right now? Yeah, it's about 50 feet away from where I'm sitting. Oh, that's, that's neat. I, that's my, my dream is to have my own personal rain testing, testing room so I can just throw tents in there and, and not have to plan to actually go out and camp for for days in the, in the rain so that's yeah you guys do some pretty cool testing on your products and is that is that part of part of your job and role there as well as to kind of develop those tests and implement them I, i'm further away from test development and running the test now we have a, a quality team and some some lab techs who are really creative with building custom fixtures and and running the tests 
uh, but we're, we're absolutely involved at the product team in determining what the performance threshold should be for certain materials and what kind of interesting tests we want to run. Um, a, a lot of our equipment is, is homemade. We've got a full wood shop down the hall. Um, Cam, the founder and CEO of Nemo is a master woodworker and uh, a, a lot of the furniture too in the office is homemade. Um, so it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to build something, learn something quickly, break something um, and, and then try again. And I think that's what's helped uh, us grow and, and learn quickly as a product team. You know, we've, we've got all the tools at our fingertips. Yeah, that's cool. Especially be able to, to have that kind of nimbleness to, to be able to see something, want test it and do that right away, as opposed to maybe even having to send something away to get tested. You can just do it right, right in house in the building. So that's really neat. So we're, we're, de we're definitely going to be kind of diving in, especially with regards to the Osmo fabric as to maybe some of the tests you guys have done to get some of the numbers around performance that we see kind of in the copy on the website and hopefully kind of d diving deeper and getting getting into some of the nitty-gritty behind those those numbers um but first we got to start off with the rapid fire questions just to kind of get to know you a little bit better um i got i have, I have four for you here today and the maybe five maybe i'll throw in a fifth one but the first one is what are your favorite two outdoor activities my favorite two outdoor activities um i'll say cycling and lately, begrudgingly running. <laughs> what, what, why begrudgingly? Is it, is, are you just, I, I, is it kind of like me where when I'm, when I first started getting into running or back into running, it's just, it's, it's not a, not a fun process. Is that kind of what you're going through right now? Yep. That's, uh, that's exactly what it is. It's like, I, I don't enjoy it until I'm fit enough to enjoy it. And most of the time I'm not, so I'm always working toward it. So, yeah, I, I hear you. I, I can relate really, really, really strong with that. <laughs> All right. The second one, what's your favorite Nemo product that you guys, that you guys make? I think the, the bridge into furniture was a really exciting step for Nemo because until that category launch, every piece of gear required an overnight and, and don't get me wrong. I love camping. Um, whether it's backpacking, car camping, and we have a lot of fun toys like that. But having a product like a chair that you can use after work in the backyard or at a game or at the beach, you're, you're using it more often um, than you might use a tent. And I've, I've really appreciated um, watching the, the Stargaze evolution a little bit from the sidelines. And I'll, I'll probably say the Stargaze chair is my, my favorite piece of gear. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's, that's a new one. I haven't had a chance to get my hands on one, but it's, it definitely looks like an interesting product with the ability to kind of lounge and then kind of pull yourself up and sit a bit more upright, get that back support. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a neat design. And if, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Gosh, I wish I was a, a rock star musician and was able to, um, improvise and meet up with some friends and, and play some funky tunes after work that'd be really cool do you play an instrument like is that is that are you are you at like kind of the, the not quite rock star level but <laughs> i'm 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 far from the not quite rock star level I, I grew up playing piano um i can fumble around on a guitar a little bit but um i think uh just being able to to meet up with musicians and improvise and jam is an ability um that is sort of 
um, something to aspire to. But you can always you can always bring like bring the bucket and be the person kind of sitting on a bucket, kind of drumming away a little bit. I've I've done that with some pretty pretty cool musicians on the east coast of Canada, where there's a lot of kind of just like kitchen or living room jam sessions. And I I'm not musically talented in, in any way, but just kind of sit there and tap on a tap on a bucket, feel kind of part of the <laughs> part of the event. It's neat. There you go. And the the fourth one, um, what product feature is there a product feature that you've been involved with for the, in the development process that you are most proud of we make a collection of small tent accessories you know we we, we don't sell as as many of them as as the tents themselves but we've got a collection of stakes and uh there's one stake in particular called a sweet stake um which, which we make it's a a Y-shaped stake, and when I say Y-shaped, the cross-section has three prongs to it, um, so it kind of is sturdy in every direction. And it has a little injection-molded plastic biscuit that can slide up and down the length of the stake to brush dirt away um, and keep your, your stakes clean. I think most of us, when we pull out our bags of steak um, for a camping trip, the wet ground or mud or whatever has hardened and you can almost turn the bag upside down and shake the grit out of it. Um, and it's it's a delightful detail to use where you can extract the steak using a cord loop, sweep the the grime off of the steak, and um, then insert into the, the ground during the next use that is really clean, the steak glows in the dark. It, it's one of those small features that you don't think about until you're, you're using and brings a little bit of delight to you. And then you, I just remember it was on a camping trip um, before a, a trade show one year um, when we were camping in a particularly sandy area where we were packing up in the morning and um, kind of had this moment where like, what if I didn't have to pack dirt home with me? What would that look like? Um, so I think that's, that's a cool, easily overlooked feature um, that I'm kind of proud of. Yeah, that's, that's a new one. I remember coming across, I'm looking at it right now online. I remember coming across that a while ago, but kind of just, I think, skimmed over it. But that, that's neat. Yeah, I, I can, I can relate. I was on a trip, um, to Arizona where the, where the, the ground was really sticky and even just like whacking the tent stakes against each other, wasn't getting the dirt off. I was even like trying to scrape it out with other tent stakes, but, but I, yeah, I'd love to just be able to like slide, slide something down the tent stake, clean it off and then not, not be carrying around that bag of dirt. Like, like you mentioned there, that's, that's cool. That's, I, I love those little things, the little details that someone like had a like problem when they're out in the backcountry or, or out camping or doing something. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna solve this, even with even if it's kind of just a little problem like that. Those are always super cool. That's that's really, that's a good one. That's neat. All right, so we're gonna jump jump into tense now. Done with the rapid fire questions. I'm talking about the Osmo fabric. Before we kind of get deep into the into the Osmo fabric, I just want to kind of establish a little bit of a baseline as to Nemo's history with tents um, and starting off with kind of how long Nemo has been making tents. Um, has it been kind of the entire time that Nemo has been around and how does that kind of fit it? How do tents fit into the Nemo history? Sure. Yeah. So this, this certainly predates my time with the company. Um, but Cam Brensinger, the, the founder and CEO is, is still in the office today and, and still has a, a heavy hand in, in design. Um, the first commercial tents that he launched with the brand were, um, 
in 2004. And it was a, a collection of tents that were focused on, on mountaineering or fast packing at the time. And as a new brand who wanted to be focused in innovation and wanted to build some credibility, Cam knew that to fight against the, the big players, there would have to be something truly different and, and really unique. And so what put us on the map was a collection of airbeam supported tents. So instead of aluminum poles that, you know, shot cord together that we're really used to, uh, some of the tents came with a foot pump and you inflated these beams that were made of uh, inner tubes and sail cloth. So really sturdy things um, in a matter of seconds. And it turned out they were, they were really sturdy actually, like unlike aluminum poles, which can bend and then break an Airbeam can deform and then pop right back up. Um, so they're really strong. They were easy to pack away because everything is soft. It's just a matter of films and fabrics so they can roll away into a shape. You're not contending with sturdy poles that get in the way. Um, and it turned out that that really resonated with um, the, the industry at the time. Some media outlets won a bunch of popular science, if design awards, Time Magazine features, and it was like, check out this funky new brand from New Hampshire that has these air-supported tents. Um, and from there, with the shelter being kind of the staple of your, your sleep setup, we had the credibility to expand categories. You know, soon after came sleeping pads, and then sleep, soon after came sleeping bags. And, you know, here we are today about to, to launch an, a new category in 2024. Mm -hmm. oh, a, new, a new category. Well, maybe, maybe we can talk about that a little bit uh later at the end of the episode, if we can get some, it, some, some hits, maybe if, if you're, if you're not allowed to reveal what it is, maybe we can get some hints at the end. Um, yeah, I think, I think Nemo's tents of, I think probably may, maybe sleeping pads now, um, been something that Nemo's really well, well known for. So kind of need to see, to hear that things kind of started, started with tents. What, do you know why, what, like what happened to the the air inflate like the inflatable tents essentially and why that kind of got dropped yeah yeah so they they were great at getting attention and a bunch of press picked it up um and they were super functional but they weren't a commercial success because of the expense um as as materials changed and you were able to uh mills were able to to make lighter fabrics Aluminum pole manufacturers were able to to make, um, you know, pole architectures at a, a lower weight. It wasn't competitive to to use these air beam tents anymore. Um, they they had a lot of perception to overcome. Um, you know, what if it pops? Even though they were super sturdy and probably more likely to break an aluminum pole than pop an air beam. Um, super difficult to make. Um, Cam has a a photo wall in front of me. Um, that kind of outlines the timelines of, of different pieces in Nemo's history. And one of them is a, a photo of him with 10,000 straight pins trying to work out the pattern for an air beam, which starts as a flat component, you know, cut out of two-dimensional fabric. And But by the time it's inflated, you want it to be a, you know, a perfect arch. A lot of math, a lot of time, a lot of labor went into making those tents. And as a result, they were really expensive. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. It's always it's always tough when you're when you're fighting against against cost. But it's I always find it interesting too if if when a company can 
kind of move past an initial idea. I think a lot of companies get stuck in their successes almost. So it's it's neat to see that kind of Nemo took their success and I was able to to build off that, and not get kind of su- stuck there. And that I, I've always I've always been impressed with the 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 Nemo Nemo innovation and kind of looking at problems from a unique from a unique angle. And I think that says a lot to to your product development team. As kind of Nemo has been making tents, I think in, in the past, um, if I'm not mistaken, they've mostly been especially on like focusing on the backpacking side of things. They've mostly been made with nylon materials in the past. Is that a correct statement? Like before before Osmo? Yeah. Yeah. Tra- traditionally Nemo and I'd say most most other backpacking brands were using nylon fabrics as a base for the, the floor and the rain fly of the tent. What kind of led Nemo to wanting to develop the Osmo fabric? Like what, what were you guys seeing with kind of the performance of the nylon tents that you wanted to address with Osmo? Yeah, so so Nemo's design mantra across all categories is is to create a better adventure experience. We we, we don't want to make the the same kind of product that's already out there, including our own products. You know, every time we we touch a product line or a, a certain technology, we want to be making it better. Um, it's it's better for the customer and it's it's more fun for us behind the scenes. Um, and as sustainability becomes a, a stronger piece of the puzzle, it's, it's better for the planet as well. So in, in 2022, um, in the development season for 2022, so this is dating back to as early as 2019, 2020, um, we knew that we would be overhauling our backpacking tents. And as Nemo has grown as a team, We've transitioned from a point of being really innovative at the the functional level, um, really cool features, really cool structure, to going a level deeper and to also innovate at the material level. And and that's a that's a step that we we have the the privilege and the responsibility to be taking. We have the resources to take it on now. And we wanted to make the best tent fabric in the industry. That was, that was kind of the mission. We're, we're updating our backpacking tents. Let's make sure we have the best fabric out there. Well, best, that's kind of vague. What does, what does that mean? There's so many ways to interpret it. Well, one, it's, it's gotta be totally functional. All right. Well, what, what do you need a tent fabric to do? It's gotta be waterproof for sure. Um, it's gotta be strong enough to withstand wind and snow loading. It's got to be lightweight. It's got to be durable. How do you define durability? Maybe we should be thinking about building some new test protocols that we haven't done before. So you can, you can see how this grows and grows. So one, we wanted it to be totally functional and, and the best out there, which means we would need to benchmark against not only what we had in the line previously as, as a Nemo brand, but also look to what the rest of the market is doing. Um, the other piece that came back to the best fabric was leveling up sustainability. Um, we we have a, a goal as a brand to reduce our carbon intensity per product by 50% by 2030. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a lofty goal to have and it requires kind of sidestepping. Um, there are the, the whole company working in, in sidestep to get there. It's not just the product team, it's the operations team and the sustainability team. Um, but at the product level, 
the the materials that we choose to use and the partners we choose to produce those materials have a big impact on that carbon intensity number, right? Um, so we we made some choices early on about the chemistries we would use or not use, and the materials themselves, the certifications we were striving for, that bundled up became a brief for Osmo. The best tent fabric met the best performance and the best sustainability. We want to be a leader in both. Awesome, yeah, and I think I think we'll definitely be diving into both those aspects, starting off kind of with that performance piece and then jumping in the, into the sustainability piece as well, because I think that the sustainability numbers are, are pretty neat and I think kind of push a lot of, um, push the industry as far as fab tent fabrics go. I just want to touch on something um, before, before I, I want, I'm going to, re, I'm going to read off the, uh, the, the numbers here from, from the website, as far as Osmo fabric and their, and the performance numbers. But before getting into that, I just want to touch on something you mentioned as far as being like having the capacity being able to, from like kind of a size and um, influence standpoint to really create the Osmo fabric. Is that because um, like, like uh, the Osmo is a, it's a proprietary, proprietary fabric, right? Like, like Nemo owns the, the kind of copy, the, the patent to, to it, I'm guessing. It, it is a patent pending material. And, and we did have that particular construction exclusive to Nemo um, for the first year of launch. Yeah. Okay. And the, the ability to actually make this fabric, is that because you're able to go to a mill and say, like, hey, we want to make this and they're, and you, you're able to have the minimum kind of order for that fabric that they're willing to work with you in order to develop the, the Osmo fabric? Is that something that is kind of unique to a company that a company has to be a certain size in order to be able to do that? that that's part of it. Um, but what, what I'll say is even, even at Nemo size, when we started working on the Osmo development, the, the first partners we turned to were the mills we were already using on our current tent line. And to, to be honest, we couldn't find a partner who was willing to innovate with us. The, the, the typical way, um, this can work. I was, I was listening to the interview with Dan Durston the other day, and he, he was, uh, talking about how you know, you can, you can go to the, the cut and sew factory and lean on them to select your materials or give you some options for you to select. And that, that's certainly true. That's, that's one option. Um, but as you, you grow as a team and are able to focus on materials, uh, at a deeper level, you start to form relationships directly with the mills and even doing the, the volume of tent fabric that, um, Nemo does at our, at our size, a big player in the specialty market. The mills that we were using in production weren't willing to try new things. It, it's a lot easier for them to continue to coat a lightweight 20 denier nylon with the polyurethane that they have at their mill and no questions asked. It's doing its job. And a lot of the tents out there on the market are, are doing just that. Um, we wanted to raise the bar. So we realized quickly that to achieve what we wanted to achieve, we have to find a new partner. So we looked to parallel industries, um, you know, apparel, backpacks, and we started vetting new partners and said, hey, this is what we want to do. I know this is a little tangential to, to what your bread and butter is as a mill, but if you work with us, this is where I think we can go. And we found new partners 
worked hard at it for a couple of years and ended up with a fabric that we're, we're really proud of. And as a result, opened the door for other brands to come to these new mills. You know, we've, we've made the, the tent fabric pie bigger for everyone. That's good. Cool. And interesting that, that not, not surprising, I guess, like when, when, like if, if a mill is making something and it, it it's kind of, if it's not broke, why fix it? Um, sometimes companies can look at innovation from that, that perspective. So, um, neat that you're able to find another mill that was willing to work with you and innovate was, was COVID an, an issue at all during that? Cause I know like you, you mentioned 2019 is when the process started and then next, next year. COVID hits <laughs> and supply chain issues and everything. Like I imagine that probably threw some, some wrenches into the, into the mix. Yeah, it was a, a pretty big wrench in, in general. I can't stress enough how important it is for folks working on products to physically be there where the products are being made, where the materials are being woven and coded. Um, there's, transparency that comes with that there's trust that comes with that and there's understanding that comes with that but the bulk of this development by necessity happened remotely um over covid and i, I tallied up the emails at, at one point and the video calls i think it was something like five thousand emails and 150 iterations of fabric swatches i've got a couple binders above my desk which are you know inches and inches thick and, you know, multiple video calls a, a week, um, you know, for us on the East coast, it meant early mornings, late nights. So it was, it was a lot of work to, to make it happen and, um, such a reward to travel, um, again, once things opened up and to, to see the fabric being made firsthand, a lot of it, you know, video takes you to a certain point and we, we had the transparency that we needed to feel. Uh, really good about what we were working on, uh, but doing things remotely slows things down. Yep, definitely was was the plan. I think it was it was kind of last spring, or, and then over the course of the last year, maybe a little bit earlier, that kind of the entire lineup of backpacking tents has been revamped to have Osmo fabric. Was the was the plan initially to ha to have that release sooner, and then it got pushed back a little bit with COVID. Or do, were you guys able to hit the targets? Yeah, yeah, we we hit the targets, um, but it those targets can can change internally. We, we do a good job of having regular check-ins. It's about once a quarter um, where the product team will report out to the rest of the company. This is where things are tracking. We might have to reset expectations here, but we we were always kind of targeting the 2022-2023 window of, of time to have pretty much the whole backpacking line converted. Okay, nice. And okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read off the the performance specs that that um that's on, that are on that's on the website for the Osmo fabrics, and then I kind of like to jump into what goes into making the Osmo fabrics. I think I think the the, the name is great, but I think people will be familiar with specific um kind of th like thread types and stuff like that, like nylon, polyester, and um, maybe maybe we can get into coatings. I know if if people listen to the Dan Derson podcast episode, we we got a little bit into into fabric coatings, so might be familiar. I think we can probably dive into that a little bit. Um, so that these are pretty good, pretty good uh, performance specs as far as uh, four times better water repellency, uh, three times less stretch when wet, 
uh, 20% increased tear strength. And then we, then we have some of the um, sustainability items like 100% recycled yarns and then free from PFCs, PFAs, and FRCs. And then I think something that, that, is, that I had to kind of look up um, was the industry-leading hydrolytic resistance. And maybe we can touch on that just for a second, just, just to make sure that I'm um, <laughs> getting the definition of this right. Is that mostly, do, is that mostly um, talking about the, like the coatings, like whether it's like a silicone coating or a poly urethane or polyethylurethane coating and the hydrolysis that people see with tents and kind of the peeling. Like I think when we look back 10 years ago and you see the, the seam ceiling kind of peeling off of your, your tent, that's hydrolysis. And this is talking about the resistance of that. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. If you, you know, you have a, a backpack or a tent that's maybe a decade old and you pull it out and it's sticky and it, maybe it smells bad and it is flaking off, um, that is hydrolysis, which is the, the breakdown of a compound in the presence of water, um, which is why you should always store your tent perfectly dry. Um, but it's referring specifically to uh, the, the polyurethanes, which are the most susceptible to hydrolysis. Okay. So let's, let's, let's jump maybe into the, the components of, of Osmo. Are you able to loosely kind of describe what the Osmo fabric is, is made out of? Sure. So we market Osmo as a, a composite weave. That, that means it's a combination of nylon and polyester at its core. Now, remember that the, the tent fabric is not just a fabric. You're not just talking about the, the yarns that comprise it. It's a sandwich, right? You've, you've got a combination of, of coatings. Sometimes you can have films in there working with the fabric to get the performance you need. So you lean on the fabric portion of that material package for strength, for durability, um, for dimensional stability, how much it stretches, that sort of thing. And you lean on the coating because a fabric alone isn't, isn't waterproof, for instance. You need some kind of sealant, some physical barrier um, that can do a better job of protecting from, from water, from being water repellent. Um, being able to adhere seam tape requires a, a certain coating. Um, so you, you use different elements of that package for different functions. Um, the interesting thing about lightweight fabrics, so I'm talking at the maybe 50 grams per square meter GSM and, and below, the coatings have an outsized impact on the physical performance of that fabric. You can have a certain fabric with a, a tear strength uncoated when you apply a coating or a combination of coatings, that can get cut in half or that can double and triple. Um, so it comes a lot more down to how the coating is applied, what the coating chemistries are, what the quality controls are at the, the factory for making sure that you have um, you know, consistent performance, whether it's on one side of the fabric roll, the other side of the fabric roll, beginning of production, end of production. Um, so it's a, it's a combination of all those factors that, that get the tent fabric you need. And so with that sandwich, what are we looking at with the Osmo fabric as far as like, I think, I think we can put like, um, like we have that outer, outer coating and then we have kind of the fabric in the middle and then usually an inner, inner coating. Is that how the Osmo fabric is, is created as well? And like, what, what are those different layers? Yeah. So there is a coating on the face. There's a, that the. And I, I should say that fabrics have a face and a back. 
the face of the fabric is the side that faces the elements. So on the rain fly, it's the side that is facing the rain. Um, on the floor, the face of the fabric is the side that's touching the, the ground. Um, that's where you want your water repellency. And we achieve that through uh, a coating, a, um, a knife coating at the mill. And on the back side of the fabric, so the side facing the user inside the tent, um, it's where you get a lot of your water proofness, which means how much water pressure does it take to actually penetrate the layers of that material. There's no material that's truly waterproof. Um, they're, they're all waterproof to a point, right? Um, you, you'll, you'll see on uh, manufacturers' websites, sometimes on rain jackets, sometimes on, on tents as well, you'll have a waterproof rating of maybe it's 1,500 millimeters, maybe it's 10,000 millimeters that can all be translated back to uh, a pressure of water required to, to get through all layers of that material. Okay, and um, we're kind of... I think the the different kind of coating technologies that I that I'm familiar with are silicone, polyurethane, and poly, I think ethylurethane um, or ethylurethane. Uh, is are those? Is it a combination of those three, or 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 two of those three that are being used in the Osmo fabric? And and if so, where where are they in the sandwich? Yeah, yeah, it, it is a combination. Polyurethane. I, I'm not a chemist. This is my my disclaimer. But whether your polyurethane is polyether-based or polyester-based can um, affect how resistant to hydrolysis that coating is. So they're both polyurethanes. They're both PUs for short. Um, but that chemistry is really important. And not all PUs and not all PEUs are created equal. So there was a lot of trial and error to, to land on the exact chemical that was giving us the performance we needed. And I, I won't reveal too much of the secret sauce, but it requires being careful about layering. So just because there's a coating on one side doesn't mean that coating was applied all at once. Um, it can be stacking and, and curing and making sure things are done at the right speeds, the right temperatures, they're the right amount of tension. Um, all, of, all of these things stack up to, to get the performance you need. We, we do use silicones, um, we do use urethanes, and the, the base yarns are fully recycled polyester and fully recycled nylon. Yeah, so it's, it's a, sounds like it's a combination of a bunch of different things that took, took, took quite a bit of, of tweaking. I think you said 150 plus iterations um, of probably different combinations of, of fabrics and coatings and, and everything. And it's, it's interesting to hear that someone kind of talked about how the coatings were such a large factor, because I think that's something that a lot of people out there probably aren't as familiar with, maybe getting more familiar now and hopefully with the podcast, we're kind of shining a light more on the importance of, of coatings, um, in with tent material, uh, diving into the, the kind of the middle of the sandwich with that fabric and the nylon polyester. Do you have a percentage of what is like how much percentage of polyester versus how much percentage of nylon and then what the kind of the denier of the of the threads are that's being used in there yeah so we talk about the osmo fabric as a family it's not one particular fabric um we we have different versions of the osmo fabric on different tents so the hornet the the lightest weight 
tent in our collection has one version of the Osmo and the Dagger, which is kind of the largest, most car camping friendly um, version of the the backpacking tent. So it's a different version, but they're they're all tied together by a, a few attributes, and um, those attributes are sort of what you're listed. It, it's a combination of nylon and polyester to reap the benefits of both materials. They're they're all PFAS free. Um, they're all made from recycled yarns and, and that sort of thing. And and as a result, the exact percentage of polyester to nylon changes based on the fabric. Um, but it it can be about um, up to fifty percent, like like around fifty fifty, um, and then down to maybe. 70% nylon, 30% polyester. So somewhere, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Neat. And, um, maybe, maybe we can, maybe we can kind of take, take that sandwich information and, and, um, maybe you can touch on how, what part of that is applying to these improvements in, in technology. Um, before we get into that, maybe we can talk about what those numbers are being compared to as far as like the four times better water repellency, three times less stretch and 20% increased tear strength. Is that against Nemo's kind of previous tent fabrics for like the Dagger and, and, and Hornet, um, or is that against other, other brands, tent fabrics? We, we for sure wanted to compare it against ourselves, but we, we also know who our competitors are and what's doing really well in the market. Um, what customers are responding well to. And we didn't want to just look at ourselves, right? We wanted to to make sure we were going in eyes open. So I, I actually just flipped back into our data this morning. We benchmarked against 15 total fabrics. Some of those were Nemo fabrics. Some of them were competitor fabrics. And to make those claims, um, we we looked at averages. So any any particular fabric, um, you know, say, say we were making a fabric that was around 40 GSM, 40 grams per square meter. We looked at other fabrics that were around 40 GSM. I think we, we maybe gave ourselves a plus or minus three GSM tolerance and then looked at how much they're stretching using our method, looking at tear strength using our method, abrasion resistance, water repellency. And that's how we generated the claims. So it was based on an average of everything in the same weight class. Okay. That's, 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 that's good to know, especially, I guess it's, impo it's important to be comparing apples to apples. So you're, it's not like you're out there comparing the, the fabric from like the, the, the dagger to maybe a, a, like a much like a Hornet equivalent tent out there and the fabric that's there. So, so that's, that's good to know. And were most of the fabrics that you're comparing to, um, not nylon, nylon tents made from nylon, or were there like some polyesters thrown in there as well? Mostly nylon. Mostly nylon. Okay. And jumping into kind of how the Osmo fabric is affecting these numbers for the four times better water repellency. Like what's, what's contributing to that with the fabric design? Yeah. So the, the water repellency, we, we actually looked at a couple different water repellency standards. Um, one of the, the typical methods involves trapping the fabric in a ring, um, almost like a, like an embroidery ring or something. And spraying it with water for a certain amount of time under a shower head. And at the, the lab, we, we performed this at third party labs and also uh, validated it at our own lab. The ring is tapped for a certain amount of time on 
uh, a surface and then the beads of water are evaluated. And it's sort of this visual check of how many water beads you have, what's the size of the water beads, and what is the shape of the beading. And there, there's a lot of science behind surface tension and what the contact angle of the bead of water against the fabric is, but it all translates to a degree of water repellency. And that can range from 100, meaning there's no water on the surface, this is totally water repellent, all the way down to 50, um, which is a, a wetted out, saturated piece of fabric. That test can be performed at different stages of um, the fabric's weathering. So initially, when you receive it from the mill, you know, your new tent, how is it going to perform? But then you can put the fabric through wash cycles, and that simulates use over time. So take the fabric, wash it with detergent for a certain amount of time. Um, we have a, a three-wash standard, a five-wash standard, and then a 10-wash standard. So we can sort of see this line graph of how the water repellency rating changes over time, initial all the way down to 10 washes. And looking at that chart for the Osmo fabrics, as well as the 15 co competitors that we looked at, you can see how we trend over time. And that's where those claims came from. Cool. And um, is, that, uh, is that mostly the outer coating that's affecting that water repellency then? Or is that... The, the fabric as well is that playing into that yeah they're, they're both playing a role um, part of the part of the mission with osmo um, you know incorporating some degree of polyester which is more naturally um, hydrophobic than than nylon is letting the fabric do more so the coating can do less but because the coating is is by and large what's contacting the the water that your tent is going to see most of the water repellency is coming from the finish and that can come from a night coated resin um, as it is in our case or it can come from uh, a water repellent treatment um, a dwr a c0 dwr so um, it's a combination of the arms and the coating but the the coating generally does most of the heavy lifting okay and so so there's there's no like dwr treatment being applied to the to, to the osmo fabric no PFAS DWR. Um, like I said, it's a, it's a collection, so it's, it's different per style. But when we do use DWRs, they're PFAS free. Okay. And then the three times less stretch when wet. I'm going I'm to guess that a lot of that comes from the polyester being incorporated into, into the fabric. Yeah, spot on, spot on. And, and that was the, one of the, the biggest... Um, opportunities to affect performance and perception that we saw. I, I think most of us who have spent a weekend in the woods have had the experience of like waking up to a tent full of condensation, or maybe it's after a storm and your whole tent has just been droopy. And then to get in and out of the tent, the fabric is loose and it's, you know, transferring water onto your body and it's, it's not pleasant. Not to mention as the fabric loses tension, you don't have as much wind performance. It, it becomes less of a, a stable structure. Um, so we wanted our tents to perform well, to look good, to give uh, the customer a great experience. And we knew that the more polyester we incorporated, the more stable we can make that that base fabric. Interesting. Um, and then for the the third one here with increased tear strength, what what's what's contributing to that that factor? Because I the kind of general information out there is that nylon is is stronger than polyester so 
people might be thinking that by increasing by increasing the percentage of polyester, you'd actually be decreasing the strength of the fabric. But you guys are, have twenty percent increased tear strength. So what's what's contributing to that? Yeah. Back to it's not just about the textile; it's about the combination of the textile and the coatings. We we are gaining a lot of the strength for the nylon. It's true. Um, that's that's why we we chose to make a, a composite fabric to leverage the the benefits of both. Um, I kind of come back to like describing genes. Like a lot of your genes are not 100% cotton. They might have a degree of polyester, a degree of spandex in there to make them a little stretchy. A composite weave isn't a new thing. Um, um, it's used in apparel all the time, but the application of it on a, a tent fabric for these performance benefits is novel. So we want to use the nylon because it keeps the, the tent strong. We want to be careful about the coating combination to deliver the strength improvements, but we also want to incorporate polyester to make sure that it has better um, UV resistance, low stretch, everything that comes with polyester. What What is giving that 20% bump, bump then? Is that is that the, the coating um, that, that's helping with that then? Yeah, the, the coating plays a big factor, especially on lightweight fabrics. Yeah, because I've, I've, I've heard like, like silicone can like, if silicone is being applied to a fabric, it can significantly increase the, the strength of the fabric relative to something that may be treated with like a P, PU or just DWR treatment um, on there. And yeah, it, yep. Curiously, with these fabrics, it, this guy just popped into my mind. So it's kind of, kind of out of the blue question. But when you're doing your research, like that Dyneema is uh, kind of a, a hot topic when it comes to um, increasing the strength of fabrics. And what kind of got me thinking about this was that you were going to kind of a non-tent manufacturer like mill in order to source fabrics and a lot of the, like backpacks and stuff will incorporate strands of Dyneema um, in order to increase the strength and and tear resistance was that something that you guys looked at for the tent fabric or was it kind of a something that you were able to write off pretty quickly from like a cost perspective yeah we, we go into every project um, with open minds, for sure. We, we've looked at Dyneema in the past. We've come close to launching products with Dyneema, believe it or not. Um, but for this application, uh, we, we struggled to find a commercial place for it the more we incorporated um, the expensive yarns. And we knew that with precise controls of the yarn selection, the weave structure, how dense the, the weave is, and the control of the coating, we'd still be able to boost our specs over what we're using in line today. And if what we're using in line today is meeting expectations and we can come to market with something that is price competitive and exceeds their current expectations, let's start there. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes sense. Especially, I think I'm, I'm always a fan of, of keeping things relatively affordable as well. And I think Dyneema a lot of the time pushes things outside of that, that realm for a lot of, a lot of people. So that's, I, I like that. I like that decision-making with, we don't, we don't need another that like $2,000 tent on, on, the, on the market. Um, I want to jump into kind of shift over to the sustainability aspects of Osmo. Cause I think you, you'd mentioned that it's, it's something that Nemo's um, proud of with this. And there's a lot of great stats as far as being able to use 100% recycled yarns, which is something like if you look back 
maybe, maybe we can talk about this a little bit more, but you look back, it probably wasn't even in the cards um, several years ago. Um, and then the, the lack of chemicals and then the, the hydro, hydrolysis resistance. Um, let's start off with those yarns. Was that something that in 2019 was, was, was doable or um, at, at what point has being able to use a hundred like hundred percent recycled yarns been something that's that companies are able to like Nemo able to do with, with a fabric. Yeah. Th- th- this is one of the, the benefits of leveraging our, our size and a greater degree of sophistication on the supply chain side. You can, you can take a single product and spec whatever yarns you want in there. Companies are going to sell you recycled polyester if you want recycled polyester, but you might end up with a fabric that's twice the cost. And in order to make that healthy, you have to charge more for the, the product, right? Um, behind the curtain a little bit, in 2019, we had maybe 25 unique coated waterproof fabrics on our tent line between our mountaineering tents, the lightest tents that we made. Um, we had so many different combinations and the mill changed depending on where the, fa- the, the tent was sewn. And sometimes we had a direct relationship with that mill. Sometimes we didn't. And we, we kind of reframed the problem as what if we reduced those 25 unique fabrics down to just three? Could we find the right partner? Could we launch something innovative? Could we use more expensive but more sustainable materials and leverage economies of scale and purchase them? for a price that's just as competitive as the virgin one-off yarns we were, we were using around. Turns out we could. Um, and that took a lot of uh, thinking, um, consolidation, line management, negotiation with the mill to, to get them on board. But we're, we're really proud that we were able to, to pull it off. Um, so from the get-go, we, we limit ourselves to only looking at GRS 100% recycled yards. Um, how we were going to afford to do that? Well, we had we had two years to figure it out. Um, we we knew we wanted to avoid PFAS and uh, fire retardant chemicals, as you mentioned. Um, we were striving for certifications like like Blue Sign. Um, we hadn't been through that process on a, on a tent fabric before, so some of this was was new to even us. Um, but through the, the months and months of development, we tackled one, one problem at a time and overcame a lot of challenges with, you know, mills who seemed to be promising in the beginning fell off. We, we had, um, I mean, supply chain issues throughout the, the, the world, especially during COVID was kind of, um, the common theme, but not only were we not able to access some of the yarns we were planning on, we. We had a warehouse of yarns actually burning a fire um, and we had to pivot. So development's messy. Um, you, you have an idea of where you want to land and you you have confidence that you'll get there and you, you stay sort of stubborn to the the goals that you set out in the beginning. And in, in this case, we're, we're proud to say that we were able to achieve them. Yes. And is, is there within the industry... Um, is there much kind of, is there much communication between different brands as far as like, let's try and figure, figure this process out and, and push mills towards producing more recycled, um, fabrics with more recycled materials and working on like 
the, the entire supply chain of getting those materials, recycling them, and then putting in, them into products that aren't necessarily compromising on performance features or performance specs? Yeah, I, I think it, it does happen for tent fabric specifically. We saw the opportunity to be sort of the, the first through the gate um, and, and invite others to, to come with us. A blue sign approved tent fabric. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't know this for certain, but I don't think there was a blue sign backpacking tent fabric on, on the market. Um, at least not with the, the mills we were working with. So we wanted to find a partner who could deliver that. And now that we, we did, we've got, we've got other brands developing 10 fabrics with the same mills that we launched Osmo with, which is awesome for us. We, we, we didn't want, you know, full exclusivity on this technology or a more responsible partner who, um, is, is transparent and great to work with and aligned with our values. We want to welcome the industry to, to come with us. Um, so we're, we're happy to collaborate as, as much as we can. Um, I think, you know, brands in the industry are, are sort of frenemies at, at worst. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the, the DAC poll partnership, um, that, that was a Nemo initiative and partnership, right. In order to reduce the packaging around poles that is kind of rolled out further across the industry. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a perfect example. Um, we, we did an experiment with DAC who is, you know, one of the most premium aluminum tent pole manufacturers based in Korea, where we shipped cartons of dagger 2P pole sets internationally, some with poly bags as protection, some without any protection at all. And we evaluated them after, um, you know, these international shipments for marring, for scuffing, for damage. And what we found was there was no downside other than, or no, no downside at all to, to removing the poly bag from um, the process. And in fact, if we partnered with a cut and sew factory in Korea to make fabric pole bags, we could actually eliminate a step of the process for our final tent assembler. Um, we learned this, we shared it with Dak. I said, hey, we don't think these poly bags are necessary. And they made a rolling change, I think starting in 2021 to just remove poly bags for all their customers. So it's like, well, we learned something that takes us forward as, as an industry. Um, that's the kind of thing we, we want to be sharing. There's, there's no competitive advantage to keeping that secret. I loved that example. And I think it was, it's really neat to kind of just, I think it's, it, it highlights that you can look at a, at something with a fresh set of eyes and be like, is this necessary? Or is it just something that we've been doing and the industry has been doing for for years and it's just kind of the, the norm. And I think um, it's neat to kind of push that, especially then to be able to test it and bring it back to the companies. And it'd probably be a little bit tougher to say, hey, we ha we think that it might, um, we might not need poly bags, but to be able to test it and, and show it is, it's kind of in, you're irrefutable, at that, irrefutable at that point. So that's, that's neat. Um, I wanted to, now to jump back to, to the, to the Os Osmo fabric. Um, I'm curious if with, with the improvements to sustainability and um, with the like 100% recycled yarn and then reducing chemical impact and uh, fossil fuel use, are there trade-offs um, to performance or, or price um, that need to happen in order to achieve those sustainability goals? And even, even if it's kind of 
marginal, but acceptable, I guess. Like if there's a trade-off where we can use 100% recycled yarns, but then maybe instead of 20%, instead of 25% tear strength improvement, we're only seeing 20%. Um, did, were you able to test test that and see any sort of drawback in that sense? Yeah, yeah, def definitely. Um, we were able to test it and we tested it at every stage. Before we even looked at coatings, we looked at the base fabric alone. Um, even the yarns in some cases, um, you know, not all recycled polyester yarns are created equal. There's a lot that goes into the shape of that cross section. How many filaments per yarn? So like how many individual strands of polyester comprise that yarn? How is it twisted or tangled or maybe even not? Um, what's the density of the weave? So, so many factors go into just coming up with that fabric before, before you even start to think about coding. And I think because we, we looked at it as a step-by-step -step development um, and we were willing to accept any performance compromise, we set ourselves up for success. Any issues we caught early on, we, we addressed, we tried something new until we were seeing improvement. So from a performance standpoint, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about the, the metrics that um, we, we advertise in terms of water repellency and tear strength. There's, there's no hesitation that using the recycled polyester and nylon compromised performance price is a different story. Um, you know, the, the demand for polyester and, and nylon, um, and recycled forms is, is shifting. And, and some of that is out of, out of our hands, you know, the, the prices of the yarns are going to change, um, at the, at the whim in the market. And right now, if you want a recycled equivalent and you want a, a blue sign version or um, that's a version that takes a certain type of dye, you're going to pay a premium for it. So the challenge became, well, if, if we know the raw material price is, is going to be um, higher and we're looking at it at a product view, maybe we don't need to look at, at a product view. We've got to zoom out. We look at our entire line. We, we make commitments. Um, we work closely with the mill to make sure we have a clear picture of how much resin we're going to consume, you know, over the next few years and come up with a solution that's higher performing and recycled for a price that matches the virgin alternative. Interesting. So it, it came down to taking a different, different perspective, look at it to make sure that you're able to keep, keep the prices kind of at, at a relatively equivalent level to the, to the potentially less sustainable products products out there yes yeah exactly and it, it's back to that reducing those 25 fabrics down to three higher volumes you can get a lower price you know it's, it's like shopping for groceries at bj so when you when you get a 36 pack of toilet paper um you'll probably get them for a cheaper price per roll than just going to your normal grocery store and getting a pack of 10 yeah that that, that, make, that makes a lot of sense and um yeah it's i i, I think that's a, that's a an aspect of kind of prod development that I think I, I, haven't, I haven't discussed much. So it's interesting to kind of hear that perspective of we're able to, to, ch to change that, the cost of the product by adjusting our supply chain and um, like, like kind of like SKU number, but not necessarily as far as just the, the fabrics that are being used. That's, yeah, that's, that's good to know. And I, I, I like that kind of out of the box thinking as far as being able to, to come at the problem from that that perspective um with 
the Osmo fabric and sustainability, um, what's, is, is there kind of like a next step with sustainability for Nemo when it comes to, to tent fabrics? Um, and there, are there aspects of sustainability that you, that you, you think that are, there's gaps that can be addressed, um, in the future with, with tent fabrics? Yeah. Um, so, so I, I hinted earlier, the, the big brand mission that we're all working toward is reducing the carbon emissions per product in half by, by 2030. And part of that, but certainly not all of that can come from introducing, you know, more recycled content into our product line. That's not it at all. Um, it doesn't end there. It's, it's thinking larger, collaborating with, with other brands, you know, we're, we're working with other brand partners, for example, to install solar panels on the roofs of um, some of our factories. And it's not telling a factory that, hey, we're only going to work with you if you install solar panels on your roof. It's us financially investing and saying, hey, we we believe in this too. We're partners here. Um, the energy that powers these mills and the machines and uh, all the equipment um, contributes a lot more to Nemo's carbon footprint than, you know, keeping the lights on here in New Hampshire. Um, so that's really important to us. Uh, we, we just published our, our first annual sustainability report that um, can speak more to other steps we're taking across the brand, but reducing carbon intensity is, is high on the list. Um, from a product standpoint, we're always going to be innovating. Um, so what's, what's the next step? from, from Osmo, um, do we want to continue to boost tear strength? Do we want to continue to, to boost water repellency? Do we want to just extend the usual life of the product? You know, when we think about our tent defect rate right now, why, what, what's the number one reason tents are returned? It's either because the zipper failed or because seam tape has started to peel off of the coatings. Those are both problems that we need to address. Uh, so looking at new technologies, partnering with uh, suppliers to be able to apply seam tape to silicone, for instance, um, definitely, definitely helps. Is, is that something that like, is, is that possible now? Or is that something that, uh, you're kind of working with, with the factories to get is cause I've heard that like you basically just can't put seam tape on, on silicone, silicone infused fabrics. Yes, nothing sticks to silicone. Um, there, there, there isn't a a a product out there um, that's commercially viable that I've I've seen yet. Um, you know, is seam tape even necessary? You know, how else can you join two pieces of fabric together without punching a bunch of needle holes in it? Um, these are these are all questions that are on our mind, and extending the usable life of the tent is, is high up there too. Um, the the other big big push that we're working toward is designing for recyclability at end of life. We, we just launched a, uh, a sleeping bag called Forte under our endless promise program, which means we take full responsibility for the materials used on that, um, product essentially forever. So we want the sleeping bag to go to a good home and, and get used, but if it needs to be repaired, how can we set up? a cycle that allows it to be repaired and returned to a customer or maybe change hands can be resold to a, a, a different customer. Eventually gear wears out. 
we, we get that. It might be years from now, but what do you do when you have a sleeping bag that's no longer usable? Well, we've, we've partnered with uh, a recycling partner um, here in the state that can convert that single polymer sleeping bag, you know, the whole thing's made out of polyester and be recycled just like a polyester plastic water bottle is and converted back into yarn. So putting all those pieces together for full circularity is um, high on the list and it's easier to do for some product than others. A sleeping bag isn't that different from a, uh, a jacket or something, which is why you see some fully recyclable apparel out there. But when you start thinking about waterproof materials or, or materials that need to hold air, like on a sleeping pad, pad the, uh, the material package is a little different and, and finding the right recycling partners and material changes is a little more difficult to sort out. But I'd, I'd expect that to be a, a problem we're working toward as well. Okay, nice. So it's kind of, it's kind of a twofold thing working on um, that, that upstream before, before the, the user kind of gets the product um, during the manufacturing process, shipping process, making sure that the impact is as low as possible through those, those steps, which I think um, from, from what I've heard is, is a large part of like in, if you were measuring environmental impact, a lot of it happens at that stage but then um once you get down to the once the user has it and what happens to that product afterwards making sure that that is all happening in a sustainable way that um that is is beneficial to the environment i think it's i think some uh, something that we that i see as a big benefit of kind of current technologies and what we see with products is they are lasting a long time like you look at hydrolysis with tents back in the day that was kind of just like a given that was gonna that was just always going to kind of happen at, at some point, whereas these days, um, tents seem to be manufactured in a way that they, they last quite, quite a bit longer. So hopefully, uh, hopefully we see that kind of as a, as a benefit, um, for the environment as well. You kind of mentioned a little bit where you, where you see tent innovation going in the future, um, and continue fabric design, um, and innovation is, is there any? Anything else is, is you, you mentioned zippers being a number one failure point is, is Nebo going to move towards, you see on some tents with kind of the dual zipper, straight line zipper systems. Um, is that something that might be coming down the pipe? Yeah. And I, I'd say our designs are, are suited for that particular end use. So, you know, where you're designing for the absolute minimalist and they only demand one slider because two sliders is two, two grams too many. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to make a zipper without a curve on it, but for, uh, a tent that's going to only be transported by car and what, you know, you want to, to live on and maybe pass from generation to generation, why not use a burly number 10 zipper and keep the, the line straight? Um, it just sort of varies based on use. Um, and we, we have a good feedback loop set up with our warranty and customer service team. So if we see repeat issues in the field, um, we can address them the next time that the product is updated. Yeah, makes, makes sense. And you'd mentioned a new product line. Are you able to, to, to hint at that or, or let the, let the audience know what might be coming down the pipe? Are you, are you guys going to be at outdoor retailer in, in June and annou announcing, doing a full announcement then? So we're, we're not going to be, uh, showing at outdoor retailer, but, um, at some of the other shows this summer, um, uh, we, we will be, 
Um, I'm not sure when you, you plan to, to launch the, the podcast and I might have to check with Kate on what's okay, but we do have a new category coming, um, around carry systems. Oh, interesting. It's a launch that has been three years in the making and we're really excited. Um, not just because they feel great and they're super durable, useful, feature rich packs, but because of the circularity story behind them. Um, I, I mentioned the, the endless promise program where we're launching with a sleeping bag this year. Well, we, we have fully recyclable backpack coming, which, um, should be a, a game changer. Yeah. Is it, is there a specific part of a backpack that was kind of like a, like a part that wasn't recyclable in the past that you had to change up in order to make it a recyclable product? to have that full circularity. Yeah, De definitely. Um, when, it, when you look at a typical backpack, um, th there might be 15, 20 unique materials on there. Um, you know, we, we leaned in on, on polyester as our material, just because there are recycling streams set up for polyester today. But that means no spandex to make a really stretchy water bottle pocket. That means no foams to make, a a cushioned back panel, um, or shoulder straps. Um, that means thinking in a new way about the hardware that we're using, the cord that we're using. Now there, there's so many different materials that we, we take for granted and are sort of optimized for, for use and, and for cost in, in some, some cases. And this is sort of forced us to think in a, a new way about, well, how else can we achieve cushion and adjustability? and all of these things that the customer demands, um, but in a way that won't compromise and, and hopefully even improves the performance of the product. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. That, that must, that, that must've been an awesome project to work on, like to have, to, to introduce that constraint, which is a constraint that benefits the, the, like the environment, the world, but then also just makes the entire design process that much more interesting and kind of next, next level is. But that must have been pretty cool <laughs> to have developing. It, it, was, it was an interesting project to, to watch from the sidelines. I, I was not leading that one, um, but it was, it was so tough. One of, the, one of the toughest product launches I think we've, we've been through with a, a lot of innovative material development behind it. Um, so I'm excited for you to, to check out what the program is all about and get all the, the listeners on board too. Yeah, definitely. Probably, probably have to have someone, some, someone from Emo on to, to talk about that, that pack when it, when it comes out. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on and, and, and getting dirty about Osmo fabric and, and talking about the development process for it and, and everything that's gone into it. It's, I, I've, I've had it out with the dragonfly tent and it's been, been a great, great fabric. Definitely. I was, I was, I was, a, I was, I wasn't sure if it was going to perform as well as I thought it was like, as well as advertised with kind of the sag ability and stretch and, um, water resistance, everything, but it, it, it surprised me and was performing just as well as kind of the pure, pure polyester fabrics that, that I've used in the past as far as that stretch and, um, water absorbency. So that was, that was kind of neat to see that you can, you can have like a hybrid fa fabric that takes the best of both worlds and puts them into, into a tent. So yeah, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. And I really appreciate you uh, spending the time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Justin.